Welcome to the New Books in Politics podcast. I'm your host, Bill Scher. I'm joined today by the founder and CEO of Charisma Media and author of the book, God and Donald Trump, Stephen Strang. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Bill. It's a privilege. So this book was held up by President Donald Trump at Davos. Uh, How did you get it in his hands? Well, we were amazed. We were shocked. In fact, when somebody emailed me uh, the photo, and there were several because everyone had their iPhones out, uh, either recording video or snapping pictures of him arriving at Davos. And my first reaction was, was this photoshopped? I mean, I I didn't even know my book was in uh, Switzerland, let alone at Davos. So, you know, we can only speculate on what happened. Uh, I did interview the president during the campaign. I have had no contact with him directly since then, although I'm hoping to get an interview with him, a face-to-face interview uh, for my next book, uh, which will come out in November. But anyway, this is what I speculate, and I could be entirely wrong. Um, He was in Davos on a Friday in January. The previous Sunday, I had been on Fox and Friends talking about the book and kind of defending, um, you know, the the view of of many evangelicals that, uh, you know, he's worth supporting. You know how the secular media kind of focuses on that. So I had been told that he watches Fox and Friends, and I remember thinking, I wonder if he'll see it, you know, and then I didn't, you know, obviously there was nothing beyond the thought, but I did remember that. I think he saw the, you know, the short interview, and when this lady thrust this book in his hand, it was familiar. You know, he had seen the cover. And so he signed it. He handed it back to her. Uh, one of my staff actually tracked down who she is. And I I need to go ahead and, and try to track her down. I'd like to talk to her, just to ask her. But he was on his way to an interview with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, or a, maybe not an interview, but a meeting. And uh, so my friend who was there, I had one friend named Rick Wiles, who was actually there and saw it. And he told me that he thought that maybe the woman was very pro-Israel and that's why she was hanging around there. But if I can ever find her, I'll ask her and I'll thank her because it's been a (laughs) lot, a lot of people saw that. It went viral on social media. Now, uh, you run a uh, media site uh, that discusses issues pertaining to uh, charismatic Christianity. Um, You were supportive of Donald Trump in the general election. You were there for election night. But what what prompted you to write this book to explain the relationship of the evangelical community to Donald Trump? Well, I'm a book publisher. Um, we publish books in English and Spanish. Um, we've probably published, I've probably published over 2,000 books. We've had five hit a million copies. We've had 14 on the New York Times bestseller list at some point. And uh, the book was my idea. I just thought that there was a story to tell, very much like I did in 2003 when I had an idea to write a book called The Faith of George W. Bush. And we went out and recruited uh, several people before we kind of found the right person. And uh, that uh, we got that book out in six months because we wanted it to be well before the 2004 election. And it was our it was our very first New York Times bestseller. It did very, very well. 
This time, instead of recruiting an author, I recruited myself because I'm a writer. Um, you know, I have come to the conclusion that book writing is very different than writing a one-page column in Charisma magazine, which I've done for years, or, or writing a blog, which is any length I want it to be, usually fairly short. But I am a journalist. I was trained as a journalist. I was in the newspaper business early in my career. I have been an observer of the Christian community. We come from a charismatic perspective. We never apologize for that. But I think while the books that we write and our website and these kinds of things uh, have interests far beyond the Pentecostals and Charismatics who are our core constituency. And I was not a backer of Donald Trump initially. I was a Ted Cruz guy. I've said that numerous times on secular interviews uh, to let them know that, you know, I, I didn't really, I don't personally approve of his playboy past. I mean, he had a reputation. Um, in fact, I was asked on CNN by um, Allison Camerata uh, why evangelicals uh, would support someone who had supposedly um, had a one night fling with a porn star. And I said, it's because it was no surprise to us. We knew since the 1980s that he was a New York playboy. Everybody knew that. I said, and, you know, me personally, I don't approve of his divorces. I don't approve of his gambling business. I mean, I'm that conservative. Um, and I frankly didn't think that he'd last through the primaries. I thought it was kind of a flash in the pan. You know, I must have been reflecting what I saw and heard in the media. And so I supported Ted Cruz up until the time he dropped out, which was in early May of 2016. And by that time, I could see that Trump really had the momentum. And also, I began to understand that some people who I know and respect were very, very strong supporters of his. Paula White uh, being uh, one of the very first ones, but but also uh, my late friend Don Norai, who I actually saw in a video that was on uh, YouTube of a bunch of Christian leaders gathered around candidate Trump, laying hands on him and praying in kind of the Pentecostal style. And I was just shocked because I didn't know of any presidents that even allowed someone to pray with them in their presence. I've interviewed um, three other presidents and been in numerous briefings and never was a prayer even offered. They might talk about prayer, but nobody prayed. And here was a, a candidate like Donald Trump, who you wouldn't, who's not religious, or at least he hasn't been in the past, uh, uh, seeming to appreciate people laying hands on him and praying for him. Over time, I saw that this did not happen just one time, but it happened many times. And uh, he seemed to really appreciate the prayer. In fact, uh, one of the stories I tell in my book, God and Donald Trump, is that he started watching Christian television in the early 2000s. I document that he met David Jeremiah once at one of his conferences where he and Melania attended and told Dr. Jeremiah that he never misses a program, uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. And the other was Paula White, who had... Uh, a program on late at night down in Mar-Lago. Mar uh, in fact, uh, I've heard her tell the story that 
it was a fairly minor station. Um, you know, they have to decide where they're going to place the show. And she almost decided to nix that station. But that was a station that Donald Trump saw her on. And he calls her office one day and her secretary comes in and says, you won't believe this, but uh, Donald Trump is on the line. He wants to talk to you. So Paula thought, well, what does he want? Well, he said that he watched her show and he had questions about spiritual things. Would she meet with him? She did. And a friendship ensued. And when Donald Trump thought about running in 2012, uh, he called Paula and he said, Paula, I want you to get together some of your preacher friends who know how to pray. He said, I'm not going to ask them for their endorsement. I'm thinking of running for president and I want them to pray. Should I run for president? So the group came together. Uh, I document the meeting in God and Donald Trump because uh, uh, Pastor Daryl Scott uh, was there and he you know, uh, talked to me about his own conversation. He was very skeptical. He's an African-American. He was very skeptical of Donald Trump based on his reputation. And Donald Trump won him and the others around. They also prayed for him. He decided not to run in 2012. But when he ran in 2016 or announced in 2015, he, he called together the same basic core group. And of course, uh, most of these people like Daryl Scott are very quick to say that they, you know, they were behind him. Uh, they wanted him to run. Uh, Kenneth Copeland was one of the ones that met with them um, initially. Actually, uh, Robert Jeffress, who I just interviewed for my new book a few days ago, he was there as well. And um, he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God. I enjoy watching his television program, but he's a Baptist. And if you watch the videos, sometimes he looks a little bit awkward as these Pentecostals are praying with their hands raised and uh, praying right at one after the other like they tend to do. But I begin to think, you know, these people must see something in him that I don't see. And so I actually invited Don Norai to write a blog, uh, which we published in September of 2015, uh, or as kind of a news item, or, or I guess we'd call it an op-ed, and he told why he supported Donald Trump and why he's he was from Pennsylvania and why people from Pennsylvania were going to back Trump. It almost seemed prophetic because, of course, Pennsylvania was one of the, you know, one of the states that he won that nobody thought he'd win that helped put him over the top. And, he, you know, he went into other things, uh, too. So I gave Donald Trump a second look. I decided to endorse him. And uh, then they had this big meeting in uh, New York City in June. There were over a thousand pastors and Christian leaders. I was actually invited to the meeting. I assumed it'd be 75 to 100. And I thought, uh, I don't want to just be a face in the crowd because I had been invited to be on with Jim Baker that very day. It had been set up a long time and I just decided to keep my commitment and to ask for my own interview. So I started the process of asking for my own interview. Uh, you know, we reached out through several different people. Uh, finally, uh, Alan Cobb, who is one of his main campaign people, called me on the phone and we talked about it. And Alan was trying to talk me into interviewing Mike Pence um, or maybe doing a telephone interview. And I told him, I said, look, I've announced that I'm backing Donald Trump. We're devoting most of the October issue of Charisma magazine right before the election to focus on the election and the issues that are at stake 
there were huge issues at stake, uh, especially if Hillary Clinton won. You know, I just felt that because of her her very left wing stands and you know the fact that she thinks of people like me as a, pa- a basket of deplorables and some of the things that she said about uh, religious liberty and the fact that um, people that uh, you know didn't believe in uh, abortion or uh, gay rights uh, needed to change their theology. I mean, I could go right down the line. Plus the fact that she was so corrupt with the email scandal and the pay for play with, um, you know, people giving money to the Clinton foundation. And then she would decide to meet with them as secretary of state. You, you and your listeners know all those stories, but I just felt that these were very, very important. And we decided that we would, uh, write about it. Plus we wrote about several prophets, uh, charismatic prophets, if you will, modern day prophets. I know a lot that's controversial. A lot of people don't believe in it, but these were people uh, that as far back as 2007 uh, predicted or prophesied that Donald Trump would be president. And uh, it was uh, the one in 2007 was a little ambiguous and the prophet later passed away. So we reported it, but we actually documented uh, Lance Wallnau, who said that God was raising up uh, uh, Donald Trump to be like a Cyrus, who was a Persian king, a pagan who God used. And there's a scripture in Isaiah 45 that says, I have called you even though you have not known me. He said that to Cyrus. And for me personally, that was kind of the thing that helped get me over the hand the hurdle. I thought, you know, if God can use King Cyrus, a pagan king, he can use Donald Trump. If Donald Trump wants to, you know, be a, a, a vessel in his hands. So we published these things. I felt it was important to get them on the record because too often with prophecies are not well documented. And after the fact, it's hard to really prove what people said. I knew there was a chance he wouldn't win, but I felt that these were men who heard from God who I knew personally, Frank Amedia was another one. Uh, Chuck Pierce was another one. And then uh, these were all people that I had known, you know, in my work with Charisma Magazine. And I got to know Mark Taylor, who lives not too far from me. He's a retired firefighter. And during a, uh, and he felt that in 2011, God said that uh, Donald Trump is going to be president. And he thought that that would happen in 2012, he was disappointed, of course, when it didn't. But, uh, you know, he's appeared on Christian television and some of the things he said kind of went viral. And, of course, we picked up on it and reported it. I later interviewed him uh, myself. And so I felt that these things were important to put on the record. So I was telling Alan Cobb about this in less detail that I'm telling you. And I said, I said that... Um, I was going to uh, endorse Donald Trump. I already had. We were going to uh, devote the issue to it. But I said, the only thing is that unless I get a face-to-face interview with him, he's not going to be on the cover. It won't be the cover story. We'll find something else to put on as our cover. So I can only speculate that that was the deciding thing. Uh, But they did decide to give us an interview. I asked for 20 minutes, knowing that his time was very valuable. 
They ended up giving me 10 minutes. Uh, I offered to fly anywhere at his convenience um, and realized that it might not be too convenient for me, but I mean, this was very, very important. It turned out that he was speaking to um, several places in central Florida where I live. And so they arranged uh, when he was at the Orlando Convention Center speaking to 500 pastors that I could have an interview with him right after uh, his speech. So CBN uh, TV interviewed him first for 10 minutes. They got my other 10 minutes, I guess. And then it was our turn. And we went in with two of my staff and I met Donald Trump. And he was during the break, he was just getting himself a bottle of water off the table that had been provided there. And he offered me a bottle of water, which shocked me. I said, no, thank you. But later as I thought about it, I thought there was absolutely no protocol that would demand that someone like Donald Trump offer me a bottle of water. And I think what it did was it showed me that he's really a whole lot more hospitable, a nicer guy than I had been led to believe with all the media reports. I'll also say this. I had my questions written out. We, we timed it. We wanted to make sure we would get every second a value out of that, you know, relatively short interview, although a 10 minute interview on TV would be considered pretty long. So you can pack a lot into 10 minutes. But during those 10 minutes, I had his attention and contrast this, or I had to contrast this in my own mind with the one time that I interviewed George W. Bush with six other journalists. It was uh, around a, a table in, in the White House in one of the famous rooms, I forget which one, and uh, we, we were each able to ask questions in turn, and President Bush gave us good answers, but it seemed obvious to me that he would have rather been somewhere else. We did not really have his attention, but Donald Trump was locked in. Uh, he was very respectful. Um, you know, Charisma Magazine is very well known in the Christian community, but a lot of people in the secular community don't know about it. So I don't even know if you'd ever heard of charisma. It really didn't matter. But I mean, sometimes when people have not heard of certain media, they'll be a little bit dismissive. He wasn't at all. And I had told my two colleagues that went with me, two of my staff, that um, we didn't need to bother him for pictures. We didn't have time. I didn't want to waste time with pictures. But we finished with a minute or two to spare. And he said to us, uh, do you want pictures? So we each posed with them in turn. And I'm glad that we did because I now have it framed on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> you know, I'm proud of that picture. Although that was not the reason I, I interviewed him. I did not do it as a photo op, but it did give me some firsthand information because of the issue did, uh, because I was involved with Christian leaders, many of whom like me backed uh, Ted Cruz I knew that they, early on, they were not Trump supporters at all, but they came around. In fact, 82% of the what's called the evangelical vote, and I, whenever I'm with secular people, I tell them that evangelical means Bible-believing, church-going Christians, you know, who take their Christianity seriously. But they backed Donald Trump, this very, very unlikely person, and the interviewers always say, well, why would evangelicals vote for him? Now, sometimes I've said, because look who he's running against. 
You know, there were never Trumpers in the Christian community. And I asked the question in my new book on a chapter we just finished. I said, why weren't they never Hillaryites? You know, I mean, with her email scandal and and her extreme view on partial birth abortion and so forth, you know, Donald Trump has a lot to criticize. There's no question about that. But but so did Hillary Clinton. And the direction that the country would have gone under with her, I think, would have been horrendous. With Donald Trump, he not only is a conservative, but he has become a champion of religious rights. Uh, in uh, When the National Day of Prayer rolled around, uh, he did a, uh, a executive order. He announced an executive order where they're having um, a federal agency, I guess you'd call it, uh, called um, Faith and Opportunity Initiative, in which they will make available certain uh, government funds for things such as uh, feeding the homeless and uh, doing things like that, that had been denied during the Obama administration under, you know, the argument that it was separation of church and state. Well, anybody who's who studied this knows that separation of church and state does not appear in the U S constitution. It was a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote a Baptist uh, pastor in Connecticut uh, telling them that the government was not going to uh, start a state church like they have in England. They still have the church of England. Now Uh, the Lutheran church and the Catholic church, both state churches in Germany the Lutheran Church's state church and a number of the Scandinavian countries. I'm pretty sure the Catholic Church is probably the, you know, the state church in in uh, countries like France and Italy. And Americans did not want that. Our founding fathers did not want that. But they were they were religious people. They were many of them were godly people. Uh, they believed that God had somehow raised up this this country and that we had won the revolutionary war, which we should have never won against the most powerful military uh, power of the day, but yet that there was a plan and purpose for America. So anyway, the, there are people in our culture who quote uh, separation of church and state all the time. In fact, the Supreme court has quoted it in numerous uh, decisions that they've handed down but actually it's kind of a misnomer in a way. But what's happened is it's almost been like license to discriminate against people of faith. It's like, Oh, you're a church. You have a cross on your wall. Therefore you can't, we won't help you feed the homeless. We'll, we'll help somebody down the street that is totally secular. I mean, I don't up close and personal right here in central Florida, a couple of the ministries and charities that I support personally and have been involved in, uh, have run into this. So he's going to open that up. And the news media reported that this will affect 14 or 15 million Americans. In, in other words, the people that they're able to help. You know, there was a, a pretty famous Supreme Court case that just was handed down not too long ago in which a Lutheran church in Missouri uh, had a preschool and the state of Missouri had set aside funds to put in these special I don't even know what they're called, but it's some kind of special treatment on the ground that the kids can fall on and won't get hurt. It's, you know, made out of rubber somehow, and that they were going to basically 
put this on every playground in the state of Missouri. Well, the church uh, asked, you know, they applied to get the money for their playground and they were turned down because they were a church. Never mind that they have little kids that might fall and get hurt. I mean, this is what they were putting it there anyway is, is for the children, not for the church. And the Supreme Court, thankfully, ruled in their favor that said this was this was overstepping on the part of the government. But yet this has happened. Uh, Donald Trump sees that it's wrong. Uh, he believes that some of the issues that Christians face, especially the persecuted church, is a very, very serious issue. In fact, he uh, appointed Sam Brownback, who I'm hoping to interview for my new book, uh, to be a, an ambassador at large uh, through the State Department to deal with religious freedom, religious rights, religious persecution in various countries of the world when we're dealing with them about, you know, what America thinks is important in terms of, you know, establishing trade or defense agreements with these different countries. So I have been impressed. I've been very impressed. You know, personally, I was just glad that he defeated Hillary Clinton. And and I think you know that I was up at the... Um, a election night party. It was really exciting. Well, let, let me let me ask you because there's there's a lot there to, to delve into. That's a that's a great interest. Uh, the the question that I'm sure you hear the most lately uh, is how can evangelicals stick with Donald Trump when this Stormy Daniels controversy continues to brew? Uh, you you hear that uh, Donald Trump has. Uh, you read in the book that the hope that voting for Trump would create a spiritual awakening in the country and push back on on the secular left. Uh, but people like Franklin Graham, who support Trump now, back in the Bill Clinton days, would say uh, the God of the Bible says that what one does in private does matter. Uh, Clinton's months long extramarital sexual behavior in the Oval Office now concerns him and the rest of the world, not just his immediate family, if he will lie to or mislead his wife and daughter or will prevent him from doing the same to the American public. Um, there, there doesn't seem to, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how does the evangelical community look at what's happening with Stormy Daniels and say, if Trump's lying about this, what does this do to the spiritual, spiritual fabric of the country beyond the specific policy issues that you just mentioned? Well, I agree with you a hundred percent on some of the things you said, especially about uh, actions in private do matter. It has to do with integrity. Um, I felt this with Bill Clinton. It applies to Donald Trump. But I'll tell you what I told the secular media, because you have to understand that we have a PR firm that was trying to get me on secular media, and, and they didn't get very far. These people did not want to discuss God and Donald Trump. They just didn't. Um, you know, we're talking about CNN and MSNBC. I was able to get on Fox, uh, you know, which is more faith-friendly, as you probably know. But then when the Stormy Daniels thing broke, they wanted an evangelical leader, and I guess I qualify, to come on and explain to them why evangelicals could uh, support a person this bad. And I went on and said, I don't approve of Stormy Daniels' lifestyle or her chosen profession. Um, you know, there's only an allegation, no proof and, and you can speculate on if Donald Trump is telling the truth or not. But here's the issue. It happened a long time ago. It happened before he was a candidate, before he was elected. There's absolutely no evidence that he has that kind of lifestyle now. 
And we weren't electing a pastor. We were electing a commander in chief. And uh, is that wrong? Of course it's wrong. But so it was wrong for Hillary Clinton to delete 30,000 emails that were subpoenaed. I thought when you were subpoenaed by Congress, you had to turn over everything whether you wanted to or not. But somehow she got away with it. Now, I can't I don't want to justify Donald Trump. I'm just trying to say that when you compare the two, it's like I told CNN. In fact, CNN had me on twice in one week and MSNBC the same week when this was all in the news. You know, I think they wanted a soundbite of me criticizing uh, Trump, which they could have played over and over again. But, you know, I defended him. I said what I just you know, told you and tried to explain that really it was much more the policies that I have, some of which I've already enumerated, like the religious liberty and some of the things he's done about abortion uh, that we support. We want someone in there who will defend us. We wanted someone who, we wanted a, a hero who would take a sword and cut through a lot of the mess in the swamp. Now, I live down here in Florida. I know swamps. I had a swamp in my backyard. I mean, it's like a jungle. And you got to take a machete and just hack through it. And that's what we wanted in someone like Donald Trump. And he doesn't care of what the media or the leftist or the establishment Republicans think. He's going to do what he thinks is right. And I think that he's accomplished an awful lot in his first, you know, year and a half or however long it's been uh, since he was elected. And I have high hopes that this is going to continue in the future. Now, I'm not I'm by no means a biblical scholar. Uh, I do a separate podcast with uh, Matt Lewis, who's a conservative commentator on CNN and a very devout Christian. So I asked him it would be a good good question to ask. Uh, And so he wrote to me, uh, he might talk about how King Cyrus uses flawed or how God uses flawed men. And that's true. But I have another theory. Just as Jesus was rejected because the children of Israel were looking for a political king to overthrow the Romans, uh, today's conservative Pharisees are likewise looking for an earthly carnal king to overthrow their enemies, not a spiritual one who preaches peacemaking. Do you, do you think that's a, a fair analysis? You know, it's not the place of the president to... Uh, do what you just said. I mean, was uh, Franklin Roosevelt like that? How about Richard Nixon? We could go right down the line. I mean, even, uh, you know, President Eisenhower, all these people, you know, good men, but they, they weren't calling America to righteousness. They were leading our country. What's happening is Christians have been losing our rights left and right The other side is very vicious. There are people who hate us that would like to take away our freedoms. I hate to say that, but I've come to the conclusion that it's true. And yes, God uses imperfect people. He already has. And Israel did not get the political uh, leader that they needed and wanted. And had they, uh, the Romans might not have destroyed the temple uh, in 70 A.D., you know, other than the fact we believe that somehow God, you know, allowed it. But I, I mean, there was, a, you know, we talk about the Holocaust. There was a Holocaust in that time. There were like three million Jews in Israel or in Palestine or whatever they called it back then. 
and about a million of them were massacred by the Romans. That is a Holocaust, and the Jewish people have been very persecuted over the years, and it's awful. But, you know, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was not just a political leader. And yes, there were people who backed him, zealots and others, who were hoping to play off on his popularity and his following to achieve their political goals. God had another idea. God's plan was for Jesus to come to earth, be born, live a sinless life, teach about the kingdom of God, and then to sacrifice his life uh, so that we can be saved ourselves. I mean, that's the essence of the gospel, that God forgives sin. I I said that on one of the secular stations. I said, That's what Christianity is all about, is forgiveness. And Christian people like me are just willing to forgive Donald Trump of something that he did back in the 80s or something that he did as recently as 2004. And I believe that he's changed. I really do. Uh, I mean, he was was even kind of a liberal politically way back in the day. He's become a very strong conservative. And... I mean, it has done more to drain the swamp and to expose all this stuff. I mean, look what's coming out about our Justice Department and the FBI. They were so uh, politicized. I mean, that's dangerous to give uh, law agencies like that so much power to where they can back a certain political party or try to affect elections. And hopefully all of this stuff that's coming out now about Comey and some of the other things is, is going to help us prevent this in the future. If you're a student of history, like I am, you'll remember J. Edgar Hoover, who put wiretaps on Martin Luther King Jr. and tried to say he was tied to the uh, Communist Party and so forth. I mean, there were a lot of abuses. Uh, Of course, he was over the agency for like 30 years and very, very powerful. And when he stepped down, uh, Congress actually put some things in motion to to try to keep the FBI from being so politicized again. Uh, In J. Edgar Hoover's case, it probably wasn't so much Democrat and Republican as it was that he had his own agenda and he tried to use the power of the FBI to further his own goals. And we can only speculate on what those were. But I think that the left has a certain perspective. They see everything through that prism. Uh, The glass can be half and they're only going to see it as half empty. And the interviews that I've had on these various secular uh, networks have allowed me uh, to articulate this in a way that that I rarely have the opportunity to do it. Now, I've been on most of the Christian talk shows, uh, you know, from 700 Club to James Dobson. And Christians are, are interested from a very different perspective. They're interested in the prophecies. They're interested in how Donald Trump has changed. They're interested in his policies, as I am, and are able to kind of accept him on that basis. Now, you you mentioned earlier there was um, an evangelical community in the primary that was more inclined to back Ted Cruz, uh, but there were certain uh, charismatics that back in 2012 – were encouraging of of Donald Trump. For those who are not as familiar with the uh, the different denominations within Christianity, can you explain uh, where you think the 
the Pentecostal charismatic uh, community, why was why were they in a different place vis-a-vis Trump and Cruz than the rest of the evangelical community? And what impact did that have in the Republican primary? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, Ted Cruz uh, historically is more the kind of leader that we want. He's a strong Christian himself. He's a Baptist. Um, those values are very important to him. Now, over time, uh, he reveals some character flaws, which helped bring him down uh, in, in the sense that he didn't win. He did come in second, as I recall. But, you know, in politics, second, <laughs> you know, doesn't count. But the evangelical leaders like me didn't think Donald Trump had a any chance at all. And we had several very wonderful uh, candidates, uh, you know, including Marco Rubio, who's the senator from my state. And uh, we could name a, a number of others as well. And it's like, which one will be our standard bearer? So I think that was the mindset uh, having to do with uh, Ted Cruz as, you know, they came around uh, like I did with Donald Trump, partly because of Hillary. You know, it was sort of anybody but Hillary. But Donald Trump has surprised us. He's become our champion. He invites uh, Christian leaders and the Faith Advisory Board to the White House with some regularity. Uh, they gather around and pray for him. In fact, in God and Donald Trump, I have a photo section. And there's a, we have a full-page photo of a bunch of preachers uh, most of them Pentecostal preachers gathered around laying hands on him in the Oval Office and somebody who was behind him uh, snapped a picture with their uh, cell phone and it went viral. In fact, Drudge uh, used it too. And so I just think that's a very interesting uh, uh, picture to put in the book. Now, as far as charismatics and Pentecostals, you know, they are, we are, I am uh, evangelical. Evangelical means you believe in the word of God. You believe you have to say, be saved to go to heaven. Um, you know, these are some fundamentals. Pentecostals believe that the gifts of the New Testament, such as prophecy, speaking in tongues, um, and other gifts are still valid today. Uh, it tends to be more of a revivalistic thing. So, uh, Pentecostal services are usually enthusiastic with praying with hands in the air and and loud music and powerful preaching uh, more than evangelicals. Now, I've been around a lot and invited, as I mentioned earlier, to several briefings with different presidents going back to uh, Ronald Reagan and actually meeting with uh, George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, and even meeting with Obama, believe it or not, during the election, a group of Christians, uh, Christian leaders, uh, many of them more from the liberal part of the uh, Protestantism were there. But Franklin Graham, who you mentioned, was there. I don't think he'd mind me saying it. And T.D. Jakes. And I sat next to Max Licato. And uh, so I've had an opportunity to meet these different people. Now, the evangelicals, there, there are evangelical leaders who are uh, a lot of them fairly visible. They like, you know, this is what's said kind of behind the scenes. They like to have a place at the table. They want to be accepted by whoever's in power to come talk about their concerns, their policy issues and so forth. There's nothing really wrong with that. But 
they also, there is a, a pecking order. There's, there are elites and they kind of look down, frankly, on Pentecostals and Charismatics. Uh, Paula White is a Pentecostal preacher. She is a, a, a very attractive blonde lady who preaches like a black preacher. And her the church that she pastors in Orlando is mainly a, a African-American church. And she was one of the main contacts. She invited her friends, people she knew. She didn't know a lot of these other people. They didn't know her. They didn't, they could care less who she was. And so that's one of the reasons why Pentecostals backed him first, because also they're more interested in hearing from God and did was this prophesied and what is the Lord saying than they are on, well, let's move over this way and let's compromise there and let's support this person and maybe we'll get what we want. And I admire them for that. I, you know, I, hopefully I'm the same way. And uh, they do it for principle. And it's like if, you know, God said it, that settles it, you know. And some of them kind of have that attitude, which people sometimes ridiculed, you know, people who don't agree with them. Now, your book, uh, we're, and we were talking to Stephen Strang, author of God and Donald Trump, published by Frontline in late 2017. Uh, the forwards by Governor Mike Huckabee, who was Trump's opponent in the 2016 primary. You capture a scene where... Um, Huckabee is talking to um, another uh, Christian who was a little uh, unsure about Trump, uh, James Robinson. Uh, and Huckabee tells Robinson uh, that Trump is, quote, the man who listens to counsel the best of anybody I've been around. And then later, Ben Carson, another one who uh, Trump defeated, tells Robinson that that he's met with Trump and that Trump will listen to wisdom. Uh, now, a lot of people would say after a year plus of Trump in office, he he takes delight in not taking counsel and ignoring the advice of his advisors and doing his own thing. Um, but is 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 that the way to look at Trump as someone who doesn't listen to counsel, or is there a certain kind of counsel? You've spoken a lot in this interview about how he's kept communication lines up with the evangelical community. Is he listening to their counsel, and and that is an, sufficient to maintain their support? Uh, you're right. Uh, he listens to counsel of Christian leaders. Um, I believe that he's toned down a lot of his tweets. He's not doing some of the crazy things that, you know, we had come to expect of him. Uh, he uh, nominated Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, which was very, very important. Uh, he's protecting religious liberty, as we've already discussed. You know, these are things that he gets counsel on. You know, where he doesn't listen to counsel is maybe from some of the people in the deep state. But... Um, you know, my opinion, you know, partly based on my 10 minutes with him is that he is much more gentle, much more humble than most people would think. He is able to take in lots and lots of information and make decisions very quickly and decide kind of who's telling him the truth and who isn't. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, he's just a, a very, very dynamic leader. And look what, at his, what is happening uh, in foreign affairs in a relatively short time in office with North Korea, uh, we'll, uh, you know, with what's happening in the Middle East. I mean, who would have thought the Sunni Muslims would be uh, more allied with Israel than they are with Iran? I certainly wouldn't have thought it, yet, it, yet that's what's happened. And there's a chance for peace in the Middle East. 
Uh, I did notice an article recently. Uh, it was in the McClatchy uh, newspaper chain. Uh, the headline was Conservatives Fear Frustrate Evangelicals Won't Save GOP in 2018. Uh, and they quote Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council saying there's a concern they're not excited, engaged, and enthused at the level they were in 2016. Um, in a sense that uh, after the tax reform passed Congress, that not much more was coming down the pike. If if more policy isn't delivered, that bond might weaken. Now you've been saying in the interview that you think Trump has delivered on a lot of policy areas. It, but it, do you get to a point where people start saying, "What have you done for me lately?" Does he have to do more, or is that bond? Is your sense of the community that that bond is so strong that it's going to be very hard to break? I think it's going to be very hard to break, and I have a lot of respect for Tony Perkins, who I know personally. In fact, I published one of his books a number of years ago. Um, and, you know, he he's making a point. There is a concern that people will stay home, that, um, you know, they a lot of Christian people turned out because they were so concerned about Hillary getting in. And if they think everything's going along OK, a, you know, a lot of these things have happened. It's not as important that they vote. And if that's the case, the Republicans are going to lose a lot of you know, they'll lose a lot of seats and maybe lose control of the House and Senate. But, you know, everyone is predicting all these bad things to happen with Trump again and again and again. And they're all proved. And he survives all of them. And many of them are proven wrong. I, you know, in my new book that I'm working on called Aftershock, um, I've been actually dealing with this. So it's fresh in my mind. But, you know, the fake news media, as he calls them, um, he, he said in a speech one time, he said, look at Sweden and what's happening with all the immigrants coming in and all the crime. And the media just went, they just lit up. They just went ballistic over the fact that he had made this up out of thin air. Well, actually, there had been an interview on Tucker Carlson the night before uh, with uh, somebody named Amy Horowitz who had said this about Sweden and what a problem it was. And somehow Trump had seen it or heard it or someone talked about it. So he was basically quoting her. He did not make it up at all. And the news media actually had to apologize. So, you know, I take it with a grain of salt when they say that uh, Trump is going to hurt the GOP. Um, let me say that there's a lot about the Republican Party to criticize. You know, there's uh, Republicans are not perfect at all. In fact, there are a lot of the problem up in Washington, but I believe that's beginning to change. I, I believe that there are people who are, who admire Donald Trump for standing up for what he believes. I hope this comes through, uh, in my book, God and Donald Trump, where they can under, where they can begin to understand who the man is and what's his background. In fact, I delve into that, um, tell how he was raised a Presbyterian. His mother was a very, very conservative Presbyterian, very important to have her kids raised in the church. He went through confirmation. You can't go through Presbyterian confirmation and know the gospel. You have to learn all the right answers and so forth. And he's very proud of that. In fact, you know, I report in the book, uh, you know, people saying that he'll show people his, um, the photo of his confirmation to kind of, I guess, uh, give himself you know, religious credibility or something. But uh, I try to tell in God and Donald Trump what kind of man he is. And does God have a will 
And is there a spiritual aspect to this whole thing? You know, one of the things that I said on secular media, uh, when they asked me why evangelicals could vote for Donald Trump, I said, millions of Christians were praying, feeling that the country was going in the wrong direction and praying that God would somehow do something. And he raised up a very unlikely person who he didn't expect in the form of Donald Trump and someone we didn't even really like, you know, as, as I've described earlier, uh, I like to say we didn't like him until we began to understand how sincere he was and, and that really he's a nice guy behind the scenes. I think that he's very well liked in our circles now a little bit embarrassed. You know, it's embarrassing about storm, stormy Daniels, you know, it'd be, you know, George W. Bush, didn't have that kind of reputation at all. You know, he he was an alcoholic and he had a very dramatic conversion. I believe he's a very sincere Christian, but I don't think that he did a whole lot to advance uh, Christian causes. And he didn't he didn't really do anything to turn back the swamp. If anything, he bogged us down in wars that continue to this day. Uh, Donald Trump is different. I believe that Donald Trump is a man that God raised up. I don't understand why God would raise him up. If I was God, I probably wouldn't have picked him. But thank thank God I'm not God and neither is anybody else. You know, God is sovereign in the universe. We as Christians believe that he's sovereign and we have to just try to understand what he's doing in our day and also to know how we need to react and respond um, to what's happening and what God wants us to do when he wants us to speak up and these sorts of things. The book is God and Donald Trump, published by Frontline. The author is Stephen Strang, the CEO of Charisma Media. Thanks so much for being on New Books and Politics. Well, thank you, Bill. It was my privilege, and I hope your listeners learn something, and I hope that it makes them curious to read God and Donald Trump, which is available in most bookstores, but certainly on Amazon.com. Thank you, and we're looking forward to Aftershock when it comes out. Well, thank you very much. Maybe I can be on your show again. Take care.